I actually would take my income of welfare and go spend it on drugs and and we would have potatoes to eat that my grandmother would bring over to the house and we would eat potato soup hash browns or fried potatoes because I would take all the money that I had and buy drugs and try to go make more money and would end up shooting it all up Welcome, my friends, to The Storyteller, where you'll find First Nations people from across Native North America who are following Jesus Christ without reservation. Drug addiction has gripped so many of our communities and ruined so many lives. Today's Storyteller is no stranger to the shame and suffering that addiction brings, but she also knows what it means to be set free. Hello, I'm Darla, and I was born in Eagle Butte on the reservation. I am from the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. Um, my mother was a full-blooded Sioux. My father, um, a white man. I was raised in, in a little place in the country, four miles north of Milesville. My mother was an alcoholic and left the home at a very early age. And um, my father later became an alcoholic and a drug addict. I was raised by my father, whom I was also sexually abused by, at a very young age. At about the age of... Eleven, I started smoking cigarettes and getting involved in drugs and alcohol. In fact, my father um, introduced me to pot smoking. At the time, I didn't have any idea what it really was. I just knew that my father was interested in spending time with me, and uh, that's what I wanted most. We moved to Piedmont when I was 16, I started getting involved in sexual activities with men older than me. Um, by the time I was 17, we moved to California, and I got very heavily involved in an array of drugs. I started with popping pills and smoking pot and drinking. Um, and I did that for about... Four years, I got to the point where I was shooting up crank and coke, and um, I was I was very angry, but I didn't know why I was so angry, and I just hated the world. I hated my life, and the year of um, eighty four, I had a friend who I used to drink with. She um, started coming to my house. I was living in a very old, run-down shack, so to speak, with my four-year-old son and um, trying to survive. I actually would take my income of 
welfare and go spend it on drugs and, and we would have potatoes to eat that my grandmother would bring over to the house. And we would eat potato soup, hash browns, or fried potatoes. Because I would take all the money that I had and buy drugs and try to go make more money and would end up shooting it all up. I can't say that I was a very good mother. <laughs> um, anyway, there was a friend of mine by the name of Debbie. I can't remember her last name. I remember what she looks like. I, I used to drink with her. I used to party with her. And then for a while, all of a sudden, we didn't see her anymore. And then she came over to my house one night or one day. And she had a Bible with her. <laughs> and she would come over and share stories with me and read from the Bible and share scriptures with me. And she just, she, she was changed. She was happy. She was excited. She was, had a joy about her. Then she started asking me to go to church with her. <laughs> and, um, she told me that her pastor that he knew what it was like to be a drug addict and, and because that was my biggest fear that he would know that I was a drug addict. And um, she kept coming over and reading to me and talking to me about God and and she'd ask me to go to church and I always said no and finally, and I don't even remember, it might have been April, I said yes and um, the night before I went out and I was drinking and I didn't make it home, which was usually what happened. I would go out and wouldn't make it home till the next day or next two days. But she found me. <laughs> I'd been up all night doing whatever, and she called the house and found me. She found I was four miles from my own house, and she found where I was and asked me if I was still going to go to church with her. And uh, I said, no, I can't. I've been up all night. My eyes are red. I'm still on speed. And she says, it's okay. It's okay. Just come and listen. And instead, one of my other friends went. But then I went, I went one other time with her. And it was, I can't really remember everything that was said, but it was a different place and there was there was love there and there was joy there and and what he said touched me in some way and he asked he had he prayed and he had everybody close their eyes and and asked if there was anybody that wanted to give their life to the Lord and all they had to do was to raise their hand and I remember sitting there with my head down and part of me was saying, do it, do it, do it, put your hand up. And the other part going, no, you don't want to do this. <laughs> don't even go there. And I was having this inner struggle with myself of whether or not to do it. And I finally raised my hand. And then I started crying and 
the services went on and when they closed, he came over and, and my friend came over and they were both just <laughs> hugged me and, and greeted me and, and welcomed me into their family and, and I was just bawling and I was shaking and I didn't understand why and we went into another room and they sat down and they spoke with me and read some scripture and we prayed and, and it was a moment I will never forget. And that was in the year of 84 and, um, in California. Then, um, things that happened, I was, um, being watched by some federal investigators because I um, was selling for one of the dealers in town, in town. And they were watching my house and what, what I, who I was selling to and and um, my friend, he came over and said, "Don't worry, darling." He said, "They'll they'll take they'll take your son, but I'll get him first, and then I'll come get you." And I was just out of it. And um, um, my father had intervened and said that if I got out of the state of California, he would give me the car. So I started to pack things up and I headed out in December and moved back to South Dakota. And I had called my mother, whom I had been estranged from for years, crying and I told her I needed help and she asked me what was wrong and I said I didn't know, but I needed help. I was sick and I needed help, but I didn't know what was wrong with me. So I came back to Bridger, South Dakota, which is out in the middle of nowhere. And my son and I stayed in this little, little, little trailer. And I would read my Bible and I would go down to the community of Bridger and have a Bible study. And I did that for a few months. I had felt that joy and that peace that, um, I'd seen in that church. Then in um, the summer of 85, my son had been taken from me by his father. He came to South Dakota and took him and back to California, and I had no idea where he was. I didn't know how to get a hold of him. And I lost, I, I went, I went kind of crazy at that point because I lost, I lost everything that I'd had with the Lord. I was trying to do everything on my own. All I wanted was my son back. I had to go back to California and find him. On the way there, I started taking speed, and I started drinking again, and by the time I got there, I was smoking, and I just went on a downhill spiral again. 
I found my, got my son back and, um, still struggled with the drugs and the alcohol for a few years. Um, I believe today, though, that if it hadn't been for God intervening in my life, I could have died so many times when I was in California heavily using. I rolled two or three cars, totaled them, and every time I put a needle in my arm, I I could have died. Well, we've run out of time, so we'll pick up where we left off next time. But if you or someone you love is struggling with addiction, let me assure you, there is a way out. That way is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only does He restore the broken relationship with our Creator that sin has caused, but as we walk with Him, He really does give us the power to change. If you're looking for peace with God and a life free from addiction, listen to Jesus' words. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's His promise, my friend. Come to Jesus, follow Him, and be set free. If you have any questions or comments, you can write to us at The Storyteller, P.O. Box 1001, Bemidji, Minnesota, 56619. That's The Storyteller, P.O. Box 1001, Bemidji, Minnesota, 56619. Our phone number is 877-766-4648. That's 877-766-4648. Our web address is withoutreservation.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, the greatest story took place at the cross. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's more to Darla's story, so be sure to join us again next time as we listen to The Storyteller.